94.7 Kumu Kokua, because Kumu cares. Lieutenant Governor Josh Green returning to the studio. Good morning, sir. He's here in the flesh. It's kind of cool. I know. He's been busy, and so we've had him by phone for the past few weeks. But uh, we're going to turn now to Lieutenant Governor Josh Green, because now we've had another day of Mm triple-digit new cases of coronavirus. And, you know, I think the question on a lot of people's minds is, is this the time to hit the panic button? Like, uh, And is it going to get worse or are we going to get better from this point? What do we need to do? How do we think about this? 124 cases mm-hmm. out of about, I think it was 1,500 or 1,600 tests. So that's a higher rate. Yeah. Uh, we were up towards, I think it was 5.75% uh, tested positive. That's, that's a lot higher than it was a couple weeks ago. We are surging. There will be very significant kind of steps back today as you're hearing uh, the main thing that I would convey is if we go back to just social groups of 10 or less, keeping in our bubble, and do not do any large social gatherings, as long as we're wearing our masks, the numbers will drop. We're also uh, seeing that the mayor has ordered the bars closed. We'll talk about that, I'm sure. We delayed the school's opening because of this surge uh, by at least two weeks. We'll talk about that for sure also. Lots of things to discuss. But yeah, the, the numbers are, are disconcerting. We had, just for perspective for people... On July 1st, so a month ago, today's July 31st, uh, on July 1st, we had 926 cases total in our state. As of uh, yesterday afternoon, we had 1,989 cases. So we had 1,000 cases in this month as wow. opposed to 900 plus uh, for the first five months. And that that's more than telling. Also, reflect on what I am worried about most, I guess, which is what happens to our people long term? What, what are the healthcare consequences? Well, people in general have done very well. We have the lowest mortality rate in the in the country at one point. I think it's one point eight per hundred thousand people. Twenty six fatalities. But for this thousand people, eleven percent of all people that have been diagnosed positive for COVID have ended up in the hospital in the state of Hawaii. So for this month, we'll have one hundred and ten hospitalizations, and that's okay. We can contain. We have sixty one people in the hospital as of this minute. But if we continue to surge, if this 110 that will usually lags about two to three weeks, that's when people get the lung effects, the pulmonary effects, that's okay. We have 244 intensive care unit beds. We have more than enough ventilators and so on. We can keep people alive and we'll do well. But if the next month is 2,500 instead of 1,100, that will be 275 hospitalizations. And usually these are pretty serious hospitalizations. Mm -hmm. Then you start really impacting what our capacity is in the state. And that's when you get into trouble. So that's what I'm focusing on. Everybody should do the following. Uh, cancel all of their large gatherings for sure. Just stay cl- in close uh, quarters with your kind of your home team and wear masks whenever you're around anybody else, you know, uh, more, less than six feet apart. If you do those things, our numbers will drop right off again and we'll be A-OK. If not, we'll get to some of the questions that people are, are sending, which is, when are we going to full shutdown again? Mm. Okay. We had Dr. Scott Miskovich in our uh, studio yesterday. Also, I know that you are well acquainted with him. One of his points yesterday was that a big chunk of the story that's not being emphasized enough is how much lasting damage the survivors are coming out with. Damage to lungs and heart and, and neurological and kidney damage, et cetera, et cetera. And those people have those injuries and that damage will be life shortening. Um, is there a concern about that as well? And do you feel like that's not being emphasized enough? Well, it's a, a very uh, interesting line of thought and, and questioning. It's too early to know. That's why we just can't comment um, completely or professionally on that yet. 
we do know that it's affecting people in in very terrible ways on occasion. Most people are getting very mild illness, remember. But, you know, Scott's a dear friend of mine, and we, you know, we spend a lot of time uh, working on these kind of things. We just don't know. In a disease that's only been around for six to seven months, we don't know what the long-term effects are going to be at all. We do know that people who get severe pulmonary problems, severe lung problems, often have scarring. They often have reactive lung disease afterwards, which means like asthma or trouble breathing. So we don't know. We will know after, after COVID ends that all the studies will continue and we'll be assessing everybody that had it. But it's, it's totally too soon to tell, but it's yet another reason to absolutely do all we can to prevent widespread disease. In the state of Hawaii, so we've, we've diagnosed or caught about 2,000 cases. You can be sure that there's at four or five times that many cases that occurred. That's about 10,000 cases. That would be 1% of our population. If we continue to do a good job, we'll get to a vaccination and we won't have those kind of long-term sequelae that, that uh, Scott refers to. A lot of places are seeing much higher numbers. And it's, it's incredibly difficult to know. I will say people with other chronic illnesses have to even be more careful. So if you have lung disease, if you have uh, diabetes that's not well controlled, you shouldn't be taking any risks. Uh, Lieutenant Governor, yesterday, uh, Governor made a little speech oh, to the press conference. Did he? Yeah, yeah. just a little. <laughs> just ca- talked about a couple things. Do you mind going over some of those things? Because not everybody watched it. Sure. What the governor's doing is he, he line-itemed out some of the spending that the legislature... Uh, appropriated. So the legislature does the big appropriation bill, the spending bill, as you know, and it had some big numbers in it. A lot of them are from the CARES Act. That's the money that's coming from the federal government, uh, well over a billion dollars, right? So that money goes in to deal with all the crises. But what the governor is doing is he's trying to measure how much we need for this calendar year and how much we can spend from our regular budget. So all of the CARES money have to be spent by December 31st. That's what's the those are the rules from the federal government. And he decided that it's better to save some of that money that's been put over to the, you know, in the appropriation side, save some of that money in case it gets much, much worse. And so instead of doing $100 million for housing support, he's going to allot $50 million for now and step that other $50 million into like a savings account. Instead of doing the plus up of $100, which... I'm just going to say personally, I, I preferred that money still going to our people. Uh, instead of doing that, he's going to save that kind of for a rainy day in case that the feds don't come through for us. We have a little bit more time. The Gov is um, very conservative fiscally, and it uh, it has helped us in a lot of occasions. So having some of the rainy day monies and some of those setups uh, in a savings account may very well help us as we see what emergencies occur, whether it's uh, – people with mental illness, if we need to put more money there, whether it's uh, a spike in our hospitals and we have to set up an emergency hospital system, what have you, because there are some really big potential needs that could Mm. come. So that's kind of what he focused on. We also are definitely keeping our eyes very closely on what the federal government does because another CARES Act or another, call it whatever you want, another spending bill is very likely to happen. We just don't know how much resource will be in it. There's mm-hmm. been a lot of discussion of it being more like $200 instead of the $600 plus up. For the unemployment, right. Right. But we will continue, just so people don't worry, we will continue to pay the unemployment that people are due. I've seen some questions come across for the, the PUA. That's the um, private sector support. Mm-hmm. Um, they definitely, I know, are having a, a they're wrestling with going through to the, uh, to the Department of Labor. They've got to keep trying. There were some challenges uh, because even the smallest, and 
believe me, I, I would make these change these pro- the mistakes myself. Smallest little mistake in an application can hold things up because they're trying to be careful about fraud. And so people have to keep at it. My office has done some of the work. If you want to write to our office, we'll, we'll check in on it for mm-hmm. you occasionally. But mostly it's Department of Labor that's doing that. So he's, he's trying to save for what could come. And remember, we're also in hurricane season. We just went through last weekend with Hurricane Douglas. And there's a lot to consider right now. We're going to get through this crisis for sure. I'm worried about small businesses. I, I won't lie to you. I'm worried about uh, people having some despair. But I, I believe that Hawaii is going to bounce back every bit as big as it did after we had previous crises because there's a huge pent-up demand to come to Hawaii. So we will be okay. Just got to weather this storm. I wanted to talk about the public schools because so now we've got the reopening date pushed back to August 17th. What do you as a doctor and as the healthcare liaison for the state, what do you think needs to happen? So first thing, uh, first things first, we have to get our numbers down a little bit because uh, if you just look at the kind of psychology of our of our community, when you're having when you're in the middle of a surge, which creates extra uncertainty, you can't be starting major new initiatives or, or returning to large plans like opening schools. It just wasn't going to happen psychologically. And that's what you really saw play out with the Board of Education, parents and teachers. It's, I think, pretty straightforward. We have to keep kids safe. We have to keep teachers safe. And then subsequently, our families at home. So what has to happen really is we have to have a decent plan from Department of Health. And and it has to do something like this. We have to know how quickly we could test any individual teacher or student if they have symptoms, we have to know that we have a, an immediate mechanism to shut down a classroom pod for a period of time so that all the contacts can get traced and tested, just like in society. And we have to keep our numbers sufficiently small, not unlike the numbers that we have for social gatherings. It may not be exactly 10, but it's got to approximate that. And if you do those things, then you know that you can open up just like you can in other parts of society. Now, when I saw yesterday's numbers, it wasn't just the 124 cases that came. The 32 of them were cakey, right, under 18. Mm-hmm. And if that surge continues, I think that's going to give a lot of people pause. Now, for instance, we have one of our, I have one of my kids in, in public school, right? And we really love our public school. And it's, it's very challenging because they're forced to make decisions which are not particular popu- particularly popular with us, like separating the student class size, a lot of it's socialization. So some of the very benefits of school are potentially lost if we don't do this um, thoroughly. So they're going to continue to wrestle with that. The DOH has to give them a decent plan, and that's one of the reasons we got to up our testing capacity and tracing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lieutenant Governor, we are getting some pushback uh, in public. I know my friends are just like, well, never mind then. Let's just, let's just let everybody go ahead, and there's no way we're going to stop this thing. Well, that... Of course, there's pushback. In fact, it's a good and honest part of democracy to mm-hmm. have pushback. Mm-hmm. The uh, the pushback actually forces us to think through these problems more. Now, I will tell you this. If we just let it roll over us, we'll, f- we'll face over 4,000 fatalities. People who say that we should just let it roll over us, of course, they have a different concern, and it's a, it's a heartfelt one. They don't want to see the economic devastation. And economic devastation can be in many ways as impactful as loss of um, life. For some, mm-hmm. uh, but at the end of the day, it's not truly the same. And there are ways for government, there are ways for the private sector to recoup resources. There's pent up economic uh, demand that will come back to Hawaii, which will benefit us long term. 
Will we all come back to the same? No. Some small businesses will make it. Some people will change careers. But uh, if you just let this whole thing open up, it could be um, it could be trouble. Okay. All right. So, Lieutenant Governor, I, I wanted to ask you about what, you know, this surge now with uh, COVID-19 cases for Hawaii. What does this mean in the conversation about inner island quarantine and whether that might come back? And also, how does that affect our planned September 1st reopening of incoming travel? Uh, it's, it's impactful. The questions have been asked. The uh, The mayors have been worried about that. I know that Mayor Victorino in particular has been asking for consideration of, again, the inner island quarantine uh, that, that was put up before, it really didn't make a, a significant difference at the time. If the cases continue to spike kind of uniformly on one island or one county, which is Oahu, then it becomes more of a relevant ask. I think that right now the better focus is on all gatherings, all statewide, masks everywhere, and so on. And I can tell you that when we do focus on one smaller sliver of the policy, it gets a lot of other things get lost. And so we should go for the kind of the highest yield policies, which is small gatherings, tracing everybody wearing masks. That'll do it. Uh, we haven't seen in the last five, six weeks or whenever we, we got rid of the inner island uh, travel quarantine and ban, we have not seen any spread to the neighbor islands from Oahu. So that's been good news. So I guess that that's a reflection that's still working. But if it gets nasty, we're going to make it safer for everyone who asks. And, and that will reflect inner island travel. It will also be a reflection on travel into the state. Just like we just delayed uh, schools by at least two weeks, you can be pretty sure that we will have to face a delay for travel in from from uh, North America or other places unless we have very good control kind of of our own shop. And I'm proceeding always uh, as though we will open at some point so that we have the best possible safety plan in place. I'm not saying that we should open. I'm saying that we have to be as safe as possible. If we can test people before they come here, if we can have extra uh, testing here available for, for questionable circumstances, we're probably fine. Uh, but then you're putting more people back to work and in contact, and that has to be taken into context with all of the cases that are around us, over 700 active cases and over 100 a day the last two days. How do we avoid repeating the same thing again? We have another surge mm -hmm. in you know September or whatever it is, and we go through this whole cycle again. Well, we can be less stupid at, at times. <laughs> which would be helpful. We did, True. A we did a couple things that were bad. One was we all uh, went because we thought there were no cases around and no risk. We learned that there was still some risk. There was still some COVID around. And the gatherings that we had of 15, 20 people without masks with some frequency around July 4th set off a lot of sparks and those sparks became a lot of fires. Hmm. That was one. Another truly dumb thing we did was to have street fairs. You know, I'm openly critical about that. That was bonehead move of the year. Because a lot of people are out there exercising, it's okay, but you do see spread and it sends the wrong message. It sends the message statewide that gatherings are not that big a deal, it's okay, as long as you're on your bike and you're stopping to see people. It's not okay. Mm. That's not what you want to do. So we shouldn't be doing those kind of things. So we learn. Because you were the man, at least according to the replies that we're getting on Facebook. <laughs> I'm going to post this one to you because we talked to Dr. Miskovich about it as well. This COVID-19 cure. These doctors that are standing on the steps of places and talking about hydroxychloroquine again and zinc and zithromycin, how it cures it, how you don't need a mask. What is going on? Oh, I, oh, and the herd immunity thing, yeah, too. Yeah, the herd immunity They're thing. saying, oh, let it yeah. go. Uh, what, we do just, I need, to, we'll do I need to watch the microphone on this one? No, there's two things. Um, the guys that say they have a cure, that's war profiteering, and that's dangerous. It might be helpful 
there may be evidence, but it's got to be evidence that's, that's borne out by good studies. And there have not been good studies that can say we have a cure. But they're ongoing, and we have to use best practices, and that requires good science. That's the only way you can actually say you have a cure. If someone's out there broadcasting they have a cure and they're putting it on a flyer, you can tell they're a scoundrel. First and foremost, don't, don't trust they're them. They're seeing their doctors, though. Oh, they may be doctors, but doctors can be scoundrels too. And so the key is you have to definitely rely on science and you have to rely on best practices. And I'm not saying don't try these things, but know the risks. That's the important thing. So you have to do your research. Hydroxychloroquine, I have one very, very smart friend who um, is terrific, who, who has some science uh, in his blood, who does believe in hydroxychloroquine. Uh, and, and we go back and forth because I don't personally right now believe that there's enough data. And I just say, well, then make sure you understand the side effects and the consequences of taking it and that you have those measured by your healthcare provider to be safe. Now, azithromycin, which is a ZPAC, that's what you know people know that as, that's just to suppress ad- additional uh, secondary infections is what people are doing. So maybe it helps a little bit, but there are consequences also of that drug. If we take too much of it, we get resistance back, resistance to bacteria and uh we use this. You'll love this one for public radio. Um, we use azithromycin for like uh, chlamydia, and 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 so we don't want resistant chlamydia, do we? So if we give too much uh, hydro- um, uh, Z-Packs out, uh, azithromycin, we're going to have other infections that are nasty, and we don't like to have around. So there's all sorts of real consequences of these decisions. So that's one thing. And then what was the other part? People saying just let it roll on us and yeah. it's not, not so yeah. bad. Yes, that, uh, like herd like immunity. immunity which yeah. uh, when we were talking with Dr. Miskovich yesterday, he was saying, you know, when he did the math kind of like live roughly, he was yeah. talking about if we just let the virus just go, uh, we're talking about millions of people dying yeah. in order to, I think herd immunity is what, like 65% immunity That's in right. the community? Do, let's say you do 70% of 300 million, 200 million people get it and at a mortality rate of close to 5%. You know, of 200 million, that's bad. That's 10 million dead in the U.S. alone. Mm-hmm. So you can't let that happen. Um, that's not what we do for healthcare purposes anyway. We get we like to get herd immunity by getting people vaccinations, getting them through the disease that way. Also, you'd have to be very, very mindful about where you let the disease spread because if it goes into nursing homes where the mortality rate for an 80-year-old is, you know, over 14%, you certainly can't do that. So there's lots of actual planning going on as opposed to this. We saw on Fox News that Sweden likes to spread the disease and make it good and no problem. That's not a good plan. You know, there, it's not easy. I will tell you this. As a general principle, anybody, anyone who is saying that there's no risk or anyone who's saying there's huge risk with drugs, they don't know. They just don't know. This is not enough time. Six months is not enough time to develop an informed scientific opinion about anything. And that's why the vaccination, which is going to be rushed, is also of considerable concern. Now, hopefully, by doing very large studies very quickly, we'll get more data and we'll, we'll decrease the probability of a bad outcome, but it will not be for sure. And so we're going to have to be careful with that, too. There's more than just letting something roll over and saying, oh, okay, it's okay, a few people die. It could have lots of other impacts, and I don't think that that's 
what maybe some people who post are considering, mm-hmm. that it's a bigger deal than that. Mm-hmm. I did want to ask about those 32 cases, pediatric cases that we had in this group of 124 new cases yesterday. Um, is that the, a cause for hitting the panic button? There was also some discussion about Pacific Islanders being overrepresented in the numbers, specifically Micronesians. Mm-hmm. What is that about and how is the state going to address that? Great questions. First, let's do um, our keiki. The kids, yes. Yeah, so it appears there's been vertical spread from parents to kids, and I'm sure vice versa also. That's the concern about the school. But we're now seeing kids uh, getting infected. We have had underrepresentation of children in the overall diagnoses because a lot of kids don't get tested. So we've, we've been testing more adults. It's easier to do. It's more common. Uh, globally, it's been about 1.8 to 2% of all cases have been among children. But yesterday in Hawaii, it was 32 out of 120, so a full 25%. I'm sure that kids do represent overall a higher percentage nationally and internationally. They just are having less symptoms, which is very good. Because I'll tell you, if this was um, creating uh, fatalities among children, there wouldn't be any discussion at all about opening schools. No way on earth that would happen. Everyone would immediately freeze. So there's that. And then there's the Pacific Islander question. I'm actually convening a group of leaders from the Pacific Islander community today, I think at 1230, and we're going to be having a full conversation. Uh, but it is true that that pe- people in the Pacific Islander community, some people use the word Micronesian, right, which is totally fine, um, are really highly represented because a lot of individuals live in close quarters. There's, a, there's already in Hawaii a big number of people with multi-generational households. But when you also have... Uh, social drift and, and relative poverty, which has existed for decades in the Pacific Islander community. A lot more people live in smaller places with large, large numbers. One individual was uh, positive living with 22 other family members Whoa, in a, in wow. a relatively mm. small apartment. Mm-hmm. So you can see how that would be pretty much guaranteed spread. And so I'll tell you, uh, that's what you see. We're seeing that in California among Pacific Islanders. We're seeing it in other places across the world. So that's a big focus, and Department of Health is, is doing what they can, but they're going to have to do even more. Um, Lieutenant Governor, got in, getting a question about private schools and, and guidance for that, because they're apparently supposed to be opening August 4th. Yeah, uh, one of my two children goes to a private school, and uh, they're going ahead, it looks like. I don't know if they'll they'll decide to lag a little bit. Uh, it's their prerogative. Mm-hmm. It's, a, uh, it's a big challenge. That's why it's so much harder for public schools. They don't have the same kind of facilities and just certain benefits to, to having extra, just extra land. So the private schools are kind of going to be a case-by-case basis. It's up to them whether it, they want to do it or not. Of course. And okay. and they can still do distance learning too. Really, whatever they decide, it's it's uh, that's the, the best part of, of being in an open democracy. They can choose mm-hmm. and people can walk with their feet into or out of the program. Okay. Thank you very much. Can you kind of update us on where we are with testing capacity and where we need to go? And same thing with contact tracing, where we are right now and where we need to go, especially given the surges. Uh, Yes. So for testing, we're about, uh, we have the capacity technically to do 5,300 tests, something like that a day. But what we really are doing is about, uh, our real ceiling is more like 3,000. We have not needed to go past that on any given day for quite some time. We we tend to max around 2,300, 2,400 on our our most uh, kind of most highly tested days. Uh, but if we ever see surges or if a nursing home needs a lot of testing, then we have to do more. Uh, so there's that. We do need to get up to about 10,000 tests per day capacity if we really want to do the adequate screening that would benefit us to prevent spread, to keep clusters from occurring, to let 
a fire station get tested if they had a concern immediately same day or if we wanted schools as they do open eventually to be able to open another big possibility. One thing that we're doing is we're pooling the testing. I mentioned that a little earlier and we can pull up up to four samples in one that would increase up, us up to about 12,000 comfortably a day if we did that. And that's, that's the change we would need, but also we need to be able to do more rapid tests to help. So there's that, the testing part, the tracing, we need to have over 400 active full-time tracers and anything short of that is a mistake. The Department of Health did train 450. Now they have to hire them. That's absolutely a must. The truth is, this isn't one we can't drop the ball on. Because as I said it earlier, you, you have two options here. You do a very good job containing the disease and and having society partner up with one another and and not have big gatherings and keep the rates low like we had for a couple months. Or if it gets nasty and you're not willing to do the hard work of contact tracing everywhere, testing everywhere, keeping groups low you're not willing to do that or you can't do that for some reason and the surge occurs it's going to be a hard stop and then back to a uh, stay-at-home order stay-at-home order we would say two weeks but you can be pretty sure it would take four weeks to really clean out the disease um, two full cycles and then we're back to where we were we'd have very low case rates to your point earlier though it would start going up again if we let our guard down again so we'd buy ourselves a month but we would hurt ourselves economically a month Mm. So if we we surge again and we don't get this under control, we could actually see a return of a stay-at-home order until we get it under control. And that impacts all the things that we've talked about just now, schools, return of tourism, et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely. If we we started seeing uh, 150 or 200 cases a day, look, that's 6,000 a month. That would be more than our hospital system could could sustain. Uh, That would be 6,000 a month, but 600 to 700 of hospitalizations a month, very serious. The spread would be everywhere. We wouldn't be able to contain it. And the only way then to prevent it from rolling through the 1.4 million people in our state would be to have a full lockdown, a full stay at home. And that would happen. Uh, you would hear that 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 call would would definitely drown out anybody who's online saying, hey, you're taking away my rights. You're not letting, you know, not letting me be out and about. We do have in, incredible rights in America, and I support them all. But we do not have a right um, to spread infectious disease to people who are vulnerable because we live in society and in close proximity. So we don't have that right uh, under extreme circumstance. And that's the only reason we would lock anything down is during a pandemic or something like that. Mm -hmm. So um, I hope people understand that. And we're only a couple steps away from massive spread. So that's why it's good that we're having these conversations. It's, It's why... We need everybody this weekend to be completely perfect and not be in big groups beyond 10 and to be wearing masks. Okay. Uh, one of our listeners said, what about the university? More than 8,000 students arriving over the next few weeks from all over. Is the concept of a bubble for these students even realistic? Uh, it is realistic. The plan they have is extreme, actually, which is a, a pretest, a mandatory pretest, then a quarantine, and then a post-test. Now, when you do those things, you're driving down the likelihood of someone being positive to almost zip. And so it will work, but it has to be a real quarantine. And that's what the university has to be able to uh, enact and enforce. And they will. Uh, That's the only way to do it. Um, One of our listeners asks, what as citizens should we do when we see, you know, more than 10 people unmasked group parties at the beach? What do you recommend that citizens do when they see stuff like this? Uh, I think just politely say to friends, Guys, please uh, 
you know, we, we are all in this together. Could you, you know, could you have just 10 people? And I know we're not, we're not encouraging conflicts. So don't definitely don't have a conflict. Yeah. They, you know, they don't want to fight about it. So that's the last thing you need. But um, if there's a big party going on, uh, for instance, like there's chicken fights that still go on sometimes, big gatherings and things mm-hmm. that are just going to definitely result not only in probably bad behavior, but um, spread. That's when the police have the opportunity to go. It's difficult for them to, to police every event that's, 16 people instead of 10. I mean, that's a challenge. That's where it ultimately is going to come down to personal responsibility. The The technical answer is yes, you, you're able to call the police department uh, and they will respond when they have capacity. Uh, also, just patrols, I think, are going to be more necessary. Everybody, if they're listening today, it would be great if they chose not to have a gathering whatsoever this weekend. There's nothing special about this weekend. Um, keep it low key. This mm. is the time to knock the numbers down and always wear a mask around people. You got it. Getting what? questions also from people about um, businesses and bars closing and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, did you have any responses for them? My feeling is if we're going to close one subset of our economy specifically for like three weeks and that like that, that the, the mayor really owes them uh, some resources to pay their overhead just mm. because it, you can't just knock down one industry unless they're behaving badly. If someone's breaking the law, of course, we punish the heck out of them. No question. Mm-hmm. But they asked the bars and the restaurants to adhere to special rules. They did it. They set up a system where the Department of Health and the and the public safety guys could go in there and shut people down, the Liquor Commission, if they were not following the rules. They did that. And then to close them for three weeks without – saying, okay, well, at least cover your overhead and your rent. Seem, I mean, look, it just seems unfair. I don't go to bars anymore because I'm an old square now, but, <laughs> you know, it's it's almost never anyway, once a year maybe. But the um, the truth is that that's precipitous and it's probably a business taking and it's, it's probably going to cause legal difficulties because now, you know, what's the difference between a restaurant that sells, sells alcohol until yeah. 10 versus a bar – that sells food till 10. Like, I don't even personally know, except I do know that you're putting one out of business and you're telling the other that they can still act and still sell beer or liquor. And that doesn't make any sense. So mm. uh, I would rather at least support them. They have uh, they have funds. We gave the city and county of Honolulu, I think, $370 plus million. They should help, help people get through this rough spot and then, I guess, set up uh, – better protocols. They, they had lots of time to set up protocols, but mm-hmm. there's cer- certainly a lot on people's minds. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Lieutenant Governor, I know we, we got to let you go in a minute. Uh, was there anything else that you wanted to add, some main messages or uh, reminders for our listeners? Yeah. The, the, the main message is um, do not have a gathering, a social gathering of more than 10 people, period. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. And only have it with people that are in your um, kind of your immediate circle, really the people that you are with anyway. Um, that's the main thing. Please wear masks whenever you're around anyone else. Uh, if you can't be six feet separated, but still really wear a mask, it, it helps knock down the disease. And then finally, be ready and, and patient because if, if we do well in this phase, we're going to blossom and we'll be able to do other things uh, that we want to in society. If we fail in this phase and the numbers continue to rise, and it may just be because this thing is so infectious, then expect to see what we do know worked, which was a brief lockdown. Um, I don't think we would do businesses. I think we would allow essential activities and businesses to go, but you would we'd be back to a stay-at-home order. And let's try to avoid that at all costs. Um, 
it's it's a very great great challenge. And yeah. so we'll look back at 2020, and it would be good if we didn't have to vanish. I mean, how many of you guys saw the Avengers when that dude snapped his fingers yeah. and half the world went mm-hmm. gone? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't think we want that, right? So yeah. let's try to make sure that we keep people healthy. We don't know the consequences, the long-term consequences of this virus. So it's our job to try to make good decisions. And they won't be perfect, but make good decisions at home, and there'll be less spread. Okay. All right. Thank you very much, Lieutenant Governor Josh Green, always joining us every week, every Friday, um, to talk to us, Kumukokua, to talk to you and uh, do speed round on Facebook Live. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, Lieutenant Governor, as always, thank you so much for stopping by. We'll see you next week. Yes. Thank you, sir. It's Devin and Esme on the Rise and Drive on 94.7 Kumu.